Godzilla made a beat, so it's go time. Welcome back, Grizz Nation, to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast, a podcast on the Grizzly Beer Blues Podcast Network alongside 3ND, GBB Live, and the Starting 5 Podcast. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, whatever you need to do on the Grizzly Beer Blues Podcast Network so you don't miss a single episode of any of our podcasts. And make sure you're reading the blog as well. As the Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. And with me is none other than Nathan, the main character, Chester. I feel like you want me to ask the question, why am I the main character, Parker? Because I feel like just each and every day you try to find a way to become the main character on Twitter. The main character on Twitter? I, I think you need to expound on that. Like, what does that look like in practice for me? Are you making, are you saying I like being the center of attention? Well, you just like to fire off takes that, um, as the kids say, get ratioed. They get ratio. Here's the thing uh, about me when it comes to what you follow on social media when you see me write an article it's well thought out like i've examined like every piece every angle of it for what i want to say how i want to say it on twitter like for the most part now like i i don't tweet anything that's inappropriate or anything like that but for the most part like something's just like i'm firing off the hip a little bit when it comes to just random takes that come to my mind when i'm watching the ncaa tournament or when i'm watching the nba and people examine this so critically well nathan what about this or nathan what about that i'm like i don't know ask myself from 30 minutes ago i don't know (laughs) yeah uh you started a nice little uh, fire on Saturday night with your tweets about Jalen Green and the Ignite and the NCAA tournament. We don't need to get into that discussion, though, because the fire's put out, you ruffled the feathers, and it's all good. But we are going to talk about the NCAA March Madness aftermath as last night, as we're recording this podcast, the Baylor Bears defeated the Gonzaga Bulldogs in the national championship game. And, you know, I really wanted to talk about March Madness and some of the prospects that sit out, mainly because if we talked about anything related to tonight's game or as this is going live last night's game with the Grizzlies and Heat, with how much I love both teams, it could be a three-hour podcast. (laughs) So we're going to keep it short and sweet. We're going to talk about some of the prospects that – Projects more to be in the Grizzlies range that stood out to us in either a positive or a negative way. And so, Nate, well, go ahead. So when we were having this conversation yesterday, I did not mention one name. In fact, I think I mentioned him as somebody who I was really pleased with throughout the NCAA tournament, but he veered back into disappointing territory back during the national championship. I'm going to pick out two guys for – 
the most disappointing and also the one that I enjoyed watching the most. It'll be in the Grizzlies range, and they were both in the national championship. And I'm going to start with the positivity that I am so known for, of course, and that's Davion Mitchell. Um, Davion Mitchell, the biggest thing working against him is that he's 22 years old. He's a four-year college player, and as we've discussed ad nauseum on this podcast, NBA executives for better or for worse, always seem to prioritize younger guys who they deem to have more upside. I think that doesn't work out as much as it does, but that's what they do. And so Davion Mitchell is not often in the lottery on draft boards. He should be. He absolutely should be. And not just because I thought he was the brother of Donovan Mitchell up until about two weeks ago. Thank you for correcting me on that. I'll take the L on that. He looks like him. He's built just like him. They wear the exact same number. They even have a very similar game. So you'll forgive me for making that assumption. But you know what we say about assumptions, right? This is a family-friendly podcast. I'm not Mm going to say it. But Donna, uh, Davion Mitchell is somebody who could be a perfect fit next to John Morant on the Grizzlies. Um, some people were pointing out that his decision-making is probably his greatest flaw. And you got to see that a little bit in the national title game where occasionally he would explode past somebody off the dribble. Like he's so explosive off the bounce. And when the defense rotated, he'd make a poor pass or he'd be kind of out of control. That's fine. He's not going to be a primary playmaker if he's in Memphis because he'll be playing next to John Morant. And yes, that backcourt would be a little bit undersized. Davion Mitchell's about six foot three with shoes on, but the um, the backcourt of the best team in the NBA right now is six one Mike Conley and six two Donovan Mitchell. Conley is a great uh, point guard defender, but Donovan Mitchell's nothing elite on that end of the court. And yet they're able to survive just fine. So I'm not so much worried about size and length. I'm more worried about, more concerned about what Davion does bring. He's a great shooter. He shot 44% from three this year. One of the most explosive and athletic guards in his class. He can create his own shot from all three levels on the court. That's the type of player that you're looking to put next to John Morant. And no matter how big he may be, and I would be perfectly fine if the Grizzlies picked him. No, yeah, for sure. I actually talked about Davion Mitchell extensively on the GBB live podcast last week with Sean Coleman. I thought he was a guy that he had definitely vaulted himself into lottery status leading up into the final four. And I thought a strong final four showing could not only cement it, but just keep him rising up the boards. I mean, I I moved him up to about nine and that that's just because uh, a lot of the guys six through eight that are behind that consensus top five are just guys that I very much value when it comes to building the Memphis Grizzlies and like their needs and stuff, stuff that we'll obviously touch on later. But I mean, for one, I was captivated by him because like the whole Mitchell comparisons and stuff and a, a Mike Schmitz video that uh, talks about his elite twitch and his defensive abilities. Uh, but I'm really most captivated by the fact that his nickname is off night. Because anybody that's going to be guarded by him that night is going to have an off night. And I'm just, I'm here for it. I really love to see that kind of edge and ferocity on the defensive end. But also just each and every game, you saw that he can impact the game in a variety of ways. Whether it is as a driver that's going to create opportunities at the rim or as a, as a facilitator. In the final four game against Houston, he had 11 assists against zero turnovers. That's phenomenal at any level to do that 
or he's going to win you games just off defense and just the little stuff. With Davion, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know if he will be on the Grizzlies board when it's their time to pick just because I don't know where the, where the standings are going to fall or how high he's going to go. But also on the other side, I don't know how low he's going to go either because we've seen ageism be a thing in the NBA. He's going to be entering the draft at 22 years old, but the executives shouldn't overthink it here. Davion Mitchell is a legitimate two-way beast. And I, I just I just think it's also going to be interesting too with him because I, I think a big need for the Grizzlies is shooting with size because aside from like the three main shooters on the Grizzlies right now are Grayson Allen, D'Anthony Melton, and Desmond Vane, all guys who project to be more two guards and threes and fours. And I just think they need a guy that's about six six to Six eight, granted, Desmond Bain six six, but he has a six four wingspan, which kind of pushes him down to two guard territory. Some small minutes at the three, but they need a guy with size in, on the wing that can space the floor, shoot the three, and create their own shots when needed. And that that's my only concern when it comes to Davion Mitchell and the Grizzlies. It's just, but there needs to be a little bit more size for me to be like all the way in it'd be it'd be very helpful I, it's never going to happen but it's just one of those guys on our ro- roster right now whether it's um d'anthony melton or grayson allen if they can just hit like a, a random like mid-20s growth spurt that'd be pretty sick but but then again it's a, it's the name of the game i mean everybody says draft for talent over need and davion mitchell's one talented player yeah I think, it's in, he's I, probably the best two-way player among guards in this draft. I think it was Jay Billis who said that he is the best one-on-one defender that I have ever covered coming out of college. And Jay Billis has been around the block for a little while, and that's no small praise in and of itself. So I'm perfectly fine right there with you, drafting with talent over need and seeing where the chips may fall. But uh, before I get to my most disappointing, and I, it's going to break my heart to have to do it, Parker. Wait, you, you, don't, you don't want me to get positive real quick? No, I want you to get positive real fast. I said I'm going to get really disappointing here in a second, but I want you to get positive first. I'll get positive. And this is going to be an interesting spin on the positivity because he laid an egg in the last game. But I'm going to say that my surprising guy was Franz Wagner. But this is my spin on it. It's just, granted, that game, that last game against UCLA, it sucked. But really – Yep, he was bad. He he ran into a – buzzsaw of UCLA with Johnny Jujang. And I think the only reason why neither of us are going to talk about him on this pod is that we both projected to be more, more of a 2022 guy rather than a 2021 guy. But with France, you kind of just saw a lot of what you're going to get immediately out of him. He's not a prolific floor spacer, but in that game before in the sweet 16 against uh, Florida state, he vastly outplayed Scotty Barnes, somebody who's probably a counterpart to him in the draft as a big combo guard who's going to make his presence known defensively and as a playmaker. He's going to be borderline elite at everything, but the shots a question. And he vastly outplayed Scotty Barnes, led Michigan State or Michigan to a victory. Sorry, sorry to all the Wolverine fans that I just probably disappointed with that. I know he went to Michigan. I just accidentally said Michigan State. But 
you just know what you're going to get. And I just liked how he, he impacts the game aside from just shooting the basketball. I mean, he averaged eight and a half rebounds in the tournament, four assists. And you can even see before a little bit in the uh, conference uh, tournaments against Ohio State, he had a game where he had two steals and three blocks. And the jumper's not broken. He has good mechanics. They're fluid. They're nice. And I, I think he's a guy who could potentially find his way into becoming a better three-point shooter, with better spacing in the NBA offense and relying on better playmakers. He's not the primary playmaker in the NBA. He's going to be playing off guys like, for example, he'll play off guys like John Morant or guys like D'Anthony Melton, uh, Tyus Jones, D- Dylan Brooks, the playmaker now. But I-, I like what Franz can do. The shot's a question, but I think more so than anything, even if the answers weren't positive, he answered questions about his game. And I, I think the UCLA game is just kind of a dud. But also, too, it's it's a kind of performance that, you know, I think if he would have balled out against UCLA, led them to the Final Four, he might be, like, solidified himself as that, like, sixth or seventh guy in the draft. But now he's actually probably in the Grizzlies' range. And when it comes to all those, like, checkboxes, as far as what the Grizzlies typically look for in prospects, as we've seen the past couple of years, Franz Vince fits the bill. Granted, I would probably like a little bit more of a scoring punch. But yeah, that's where I'm at, too. And I think that, that's where I'm at with him, though. Yeah, Wagner is somebody that I think is going to be a very good pro no matter what he gets because he is somebody the Grizzlies have targeted in the past as far as his intangibles, his IQ for the game. Um, He's a solid defender. Um, There are two comps that immediately come to mind for him. One is already on the Grizzlies, and that's Kyle Anderson, somebody who can be a secondary playmaker, who can be a facilitator, who can defend about four positions. That's what Franz Wagner projects to be right now, and there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. The other one, and this is a little ambitious here, and I've already mentioned this to you before, is a less athletic Tayshaun Prince. Tayshaun Prince is somebody who epitomized what an elite role player is in the NBA over the course of their career. And there's some similarities there. Tayshaun was this long, rangy wing who became an elite defender in time and also had a little bit of a shaky jump shot, especially during the latter part of his career. Um, If Wagner could get to 75% of that, well, that would be absolutely phenomenal. And I think he's got a real chance to get to that. But I'm with you in the sense that while I think he's going to be a good pro, I think he'll be a serviceable, good rotation player right from the jump from an NBA team. Um, He just doesn't really fit what Memphis needs right at this time, especially with the question marks about his shooting. Um, He does have good size on the wing that the Grizzlies could use at both the three and the four, but um, they do just need more of a scoring punch. Like you've said, you want something you, I think you and I are both in agreement here. The Grizzlies need to be targeting Someone who has upside, possible star upside. Now, that could be Corey Kispert, who I'll talk about here in a second. Somebody who is a three- or four-year player or even a two-year player like Franz Wagner in college. But somebody who has upside specifically as a three-level scorer in the NBA. And that's just not where Wagner's strength is, and it's probably never going to come from that. And so for that reason alone, I think the Grizzlies need to look elsewhere, even though I wouldn't hate it if they drafted him. Yeah, I kind of got to that point. Like, I won't hate it if they draft him. Grant, yeah. there are going to be concerns. It's kind of the safe pick. But, I mean, we've kind of learned, like, sometimes 
that questionable college production pick turns out just fine. We saw it with Jaron Jackson Jr. when he was picked fourth. Sure. I remember you were crying out ten and five when it when uh, <laughs> they picked Jaron Jackson Jr. But he he's exactly. turned out fine. But I said he was the second coming of Deontay Davis, and I'll probably never live that down. It is what it is. I think a bright side for Wagner is he's a 83% free throw shooter. That's usually a good indicator of NBA three-point percentage. So it's there. Like, the form's there. The mechanics are there. I just think with uh, more reps and uh, more fluidity in terms of, like, role fluidity, I don't – like, not having him be a guy that's, you know, stuck in a half-court offense and having to be a primary playmaker if he's playing off a good playmaker – a situation I want to compare it to is Denny Advia. Mm-hmm. I think they're very comparable prospects, but I noticed that Denny's three-point percentage is significantly higher as a starter playing next to Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. It's like 35% as opposed to playing off the bench next to Raul Neto, where he mm-hmm. is shooting 31% from three. So I just think it's all going to come down to who he's sharing the floor with. If he's surrounded by good playmakers, if, and he, he can find his shot, I think he could be the starting three of the future for sure. Yeah. So moving on, it's time for me to get negative. Also, my brand and totality coming into play right here. But somebody who really disappointed me in the NCAA tournament, I've kind of flipped on this person and not in the sense I will, they're still near the top of my board for the Grizzlies. I would love it if the Grizzlies drafted this person. This is just me like in a sense of just the tournament in and of itself, this player really disappointed me. Parker, it's Corey Kispert. You know what? If you you weren't in a church right now, I'd probably cuss you out. Yeah, but but I I prefer my coworkers not hear that. So I'm glad you're not going to do it. But no, don't get me wrong. He's still, I'm going to go back and rework my board here in the next week, but he'll probably still be at number one or number two as far as realistic targets on my board for the Grizzlies. But um, he kind of got a pass because you um, Gonzaga was winning in the NCAA tournament, but his numbers had a little bit of a significant tail off. He was averaging 15 a game as compared to 19 a game in the regular season. Um And then you get to the national championship game, and it wasn't necessarily the fact that he didn't just play well um, because he missed some shots that he'd normally make. The concerns that I saw there are ones that are going to follow him to the NBA, and that's when he he was being guarded by long, tenacious, athletic defenders. Like Baylor was throwing at him, he was struggling just to put the ball on the court. Like he was totally – uninvolved in the offense whatsoever and I think going forward I'm thinking it's kind of like just what we're talking about with Wagner when he's sharing the court with better players when defenses are keyed in on John Morant to Jaron Jackson Jr. he's not going to face that level of defensive attention but it was a little bit worrying for me to watch him just look so entirely out of his element when he was facing NBA caliber defenders who were doing everything they could to make him uncomfortable. I will say one thing with college basketball, as far as uh, just kind of the driving lanes for players and like players struggling to put the ball on the ground or whatever. And I think it even like goes over to Europe and other leagues as well. I think the defensive three second rule really messes with everybody because teams could just sit in the paint and basically close off every single driving lane a player has. That's why when a player is a good driver in college basketball, it's 
a lot more impressive Mm -hmm. because those lanes are clawed because teams just pack in a zone and they can just bother uh, perimeter players that are trying to create stuff off the dribble and get into the paint. I will say with Kispert, for one, we're describing this as a tail off. In the NCAA tournament, he averaged 16 points a game on – he had five rebounds, two assists, and a steal while shoot, having shooting splits of 46.7 from the field, 42.2% from three on seven and a half attempts, and 70% from the free throw line. If that's what we're considering a tailspin, like that's, well, that's I really say, good. I didn't say tailspin, but I did say he trailed. He was clearly not as impactful in the NCAA tournament as he was during the regular season. And maybe that was to be expected to a certain degree. It gets better competition than they had faced on a consistent basis all year long. But I watched every single one of their games, and he just wasn't quite as instrumental as he was during the regular season. Now, do you want me to say what I think about – what Corey Kispert really showed to me instead. What? Like, I think one thing I took away is, I mean, for one, like every time he, sh- he did struggle those last three games from three in the Elite Eight, he shot three of 10. He shot two of eight in the Final Four, two of seven in the championship game. And I'm not uh, worried about his shooting. Yeah. yeah I'm not, mm-hmm. I, it was still one of those things with his mechanics and how he got a shot off. I thought it was going to go in every time, but it's how he impacted the game aside from shooting the basketball. I think that's one of the the biggest hallmarks of a player when, as far as what they bring to the table. Like, obviously, elite shooting is elite shooting. That's a premium in this league. You're always going to do that. But what keeps you on the court as well is what else are you going to show when your shot is off? And for Kispert, it was crashing the glass. I mean, he had games of – multiple games of more than five rebounds, I think four games. Um, He made some big offensive rebounds in the Elite Eight and in the Final Four game. And he did a little bit of secondary playmaking, not a whole lot, but it was nice. gotten him more involved as a ball handler. I think it would have helped him get into more of a rhythm in the national championship game too. Yeah. And, I mean, one thing that just jumped off the charts to me was – that insane block he had where he blotted into the, the yeah, that, 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 did, that did take me by surprise when I watched that play. It came out of nowhere. <laughs> but, but the fact of like he's showing that he's not just a shooter and that he can go down. And I, I think one thing that I think should is going to be a theme going forward in terms of my Grizzlies team building philosophy is good positional rebounding because you're going to need to have like a, a mob mentality on the glass if you want to play Jaron Jackson Jr. at the five, where I think he's better at. And I think Kispert showed that. And I do think that he might have defensive troubles in the league. I mean, he struggled mightily against Baylor's guards, but I think playing around better defenders, I mean, let's be real. I mean, Drew Timmy isn't exactly a – Great rim protector by any means. He got exposed in last night's game as well, as much as I consider him to be a cult hero. But I I just think Corey Kispert's just another example of a player who's going to be better when he when simply playing in a better structure than the than college basketball. He's gonna be a lot better in NBA spacing, NBA motion, and overall just playing next to NBA level defenders as well. Yep. 
We'll see on that. And like I said, whatever I thought of him in the NCAA tournament, it does not – I did not knock him down a single spot on my big board or anything no. like that. And, like, I will be um, – maybe – Maybe not overjoyed, but like I will be very, very, very much pleased that the Grizzlies pick him. Oh no, I will. I would want to have a parade if if they, <laughs> if they pick Corey Kispert. And you know, it's possible ageism exists. Teams will look into his defensive woes a little bit too much, or his up uh, or his ball handling and how he can create his own shot off the dribble or stuff like that. Just, I think people need to remember that. Just because mock drafts have these guys at certain ranges and stuff, it doesn't always pertain. I mean, and just in the 2019 it's- draft, Brandon Clark fell to 21, Bull Bull fell to 44, and Nazir Little dropped to 25, KPJ dropped to 30. So you, you're going to have movement all across the board on actual draft night because he, – He's somebody I will not be shocked at all if he starts to fall because – we just know how NBA executives are. And I feel like NBA executives are very much prisoners of the moment. And I think they can literally take his film from the national title game in and of itself. And that might be enough to put him to the back half of the lottery when he could have been a top 10 pick before that game. Yeah. Uh, they're a very fickle bunch. Also, there will be guys that, you know, they have really strong workouts. I, I think that like, especially guys like maybe like Davion Mitchell, he he will solidify himself maybe as like a said like a nine ten as a seven eight or like Franz Wagner when he gets into an open court and can actually show that he has a jumper or guys like Keon Johnson whose athleticism kind of pops off the charts and he might show upside as a pull up shooter. You just don't know who um, what's going to happen between now and the draft. Even though in theory we got all the game tape that we have, like it, it's going to be fine, but. I will close this with my disappointing prospects. And so it was tough. I mean, I know people will probably want to talk about Moses Moody's fall, but here's the thing. He's 18 years old. He didn't play any next to legitimate playmakers. Yeah. He didn't play next to any past first point guards. I'm not worried about him either. Yeah. At the end of the day, he's a six, six wing with a seven foot wingspan and he's 18 years old. And he's already shown a great ability of being able to, get his own shot without demanding too much uh, time possession. Kind of like a not, – I'm not calling him Clay Thompson. I know that's a, a hallmark comparison for both you and Joe Mullinax using Clay Thompson here and there. But it's Clay-esque in the fact of he doesn't need the ball for three to five seconds of possession to get his own shot off. He can score off catch and shoot, off movements, off mm-hmm. cuts. Yeah. So I'm not worried about him. But I will say – and this is going to very much upset Sean Coleman and Jack Noonan and Ben Hogan, whichever Tennessee fans that we have on the GBB staff. And that is the UT combo of Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer, because I, I was just disappointed. And, you know, you, when I was texting you about this, you were just like, oh, don't worry. Like, it's, pro- it's more Rick Barnes than anything. And I think I was just more so disappointed that we didn't get to see Keon and Jaden go up against Kay Cunningham in the next round. That's what I was disappointed in. I mean, Keon was more acknowledged for his prowess as a uh, two-point scorer, you know, as a mid-range shooter and getting to the rim. And he was 6-16 to against Oregon State in that first round. He went 5-14 of on twos. And just a guy that's predicated on 
athleticism being that inefficient inside the arc, there's not a good showing. I mean, granted, he had three steals, flashes defensive upset. But I'm just really disappointed that we didn't get to see another sample size of him, especially against the guy that everybody considered to be best prospect in the draft, and that's Kay Cunningham. So I want to say the UT guys because also, too, like there wasn't really – in this tournament, there wasn't anybody that necessarily like stood out on the Grizzlies' radar nor anybody that disappointed per se. Like we, we talked ourselves out of the Moses Moody stuff, the Franz Wagner stuff. I don't see Scotty Barnes as an actual target because I think no. he'll go like six or seven. Mm-hmm. But I, I'll just leave it to the Tennessee guys just because I expect him to be at least another game six, more successful. Yeah, Keon, I don't know how much to blame it on Springer and Keon than I do Rick Barnes because this has just been his MO going all the way back to Texas, that his teams just don't make deep tournament runs. They always underachieve when push comes to shove during the most pivotal moments of the season. And even throughout the season, they relied extensively and way too much on the mid-range rather than telling guys like Keon Johnson, hey, be sure to take most of your shots at the rim. You need to be taking this percentage of the amount of your shots at the rim. And they just allow Keon to settle for mid-range fadeaways, which he converted with a solid level of consistency that speaks highly of his ability as a shot creator going into this NBA draft. He's very raw in that area, and that's something that he'll have to develop over the next few years, but I'm still kind of at a place where I don't put that much stock into it just because I know how Rick Barnes teams are. I know how Tennessee basketball normally flames out. Jaden Springer is not somebody I'm very high on, period. His age is a positive thing for him in the sense that he has plenty of room to grow and develop. But what is Jaden Springer good at? (laughs) It's kind of the thing that I come down to. Um, He's not elite at getting to the rim. He's not... He's not in the same stratosphere of athlete as Keon Johnson. He did shoot 40% from three, but that was only on like 1.5 attempts per game. Um, There's just nothing about him that really excites me or energizes me in some way. Keon Johnson would not be my first choice for the Grizzlies, but there may not be a more athletic wing prospect in this draft than him. And he's only 19 years old. Um, I would have preferred to not see him settle so much for mid-range jumpers like he did as a freshman at Tennessee. But the fact that he did shows an ability to develop as a three-level scorer in the NBA. And three-level scorers who can convert consistently both at the rim and from the three-point line are a premium, and they come in short supply. I don't know for sure Keon Johnson will ever become that, but the baseline and foundation is there for him to become that. And I would trust the Grizzlies coaching staff to develop him in time. So I am would be fine if the Grizzlies drafted Keon Johnson. To be honest, I don't think he's going to be there. Um, he's trending in the top 10 of most draft boards. And right now, the Grizzlies are sitting at eight for the Western Conference playoff race. And I don't know for a fact that the Grizzlies will make the playoffs at the end of the season, but I think they would have to trade up for Keon Johnson if they want him. Keon Johnson is somebody I'd be uh, perfectly fine if the Grizzlies drafted him. I would not feel comfortable if they had to trade up to get him. That's fair. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, for sure. And obviously, Stuff's going to change between now and draft night. I will say with Keon is I remember the comparison that Bleacher Reports Jonathan Wasserman used for him and kind of considered him like the uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. or the Patrick Williams of this draft, as in you're going to have to look more into his overall tools instead of the actual production level to really Mm -hmm. 
understand how good of a prospect Heon is. And, but you know, I, I think this, this tournament was more not necessarily about, granted, you had guys like Davion Mitchell rides up on boards, but it was really more about guys that weren't on NBA radars before the tournament getting on NBA boards, whether it's Johnny Juzang or Max Abrams from Oral Roberts Mm -hmm. or even Drew Timmy getting a look like at least like getting into that consideration of like, Oh, like, could this guy be an NBA guy? I mean, he looked up, he played a lot like like a modern day Christian Leitner out there. Do you you know what's absurd to me? So I saw Drew Timmy starting to pop up on late first round, early second round draft boards here, kind of in the middle of the NCAA tournament. And yet on those same draft boards, I would see Luke Garza in the middle or the late part of the second round. Luke Garza is a better player than Drew Timmy. And I think he would be a better player in the NBA. There's also Uh, that two-year age gap too. I I think Drew Timmy's going to be, I think he's going to be a four-year guy. I think he'll be a college basketball star. I think him and, um, Joe Ayayi will be back for four years at Gonzaga, and I think they will be a power again next year. Um, and they may get Chet, so. Yeah, they'll make it Chet. Um, but to leave it leave it at this, as far as Drew Timmy and the rest of Gonzaga goes, like those guys are going to be fine. Corey Kispert's going to be a good NBA player, hopefully in a Grizzlies uniform. Jalen Suggs, I think, is going to be a star in the NBA, no matter what take I may have about whether he should have gone to the G League or stay in college basketball, notwithstanding. Uh, but Mark Few, um, that guy's got to be sitting here today wondering what else can I do. <laughs> I, I guess, um, he, he, I guess he's uh, to get Chet. Yeah, it, I mean, that might be his last option, but the guy's been to the mountaintop so many times now. He's been knocking at the door, and he had a team that many people thought was the best college basketball team of all time, and yet they got their face smashed in when push came to shove at the moment of truth. And I, I feel for that guy today. I really do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, it's about all the time we have. Nate, do you have any other final remarks before we close the show? I do not. You can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24. You can find all my Grizzlies-related content at grizzlybearblues.com. Stay tuned so that you can see my article tomorrow come out about where I admit I was wrong. Wow. We really need that. We really do. It's what the people want. Mm -hmm. Yep. You can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Make sure you're reading our work at grizzlybearblues.com. I have a column dropping about John Morant in the pick and roll. Uh, you should read for sure. Did you tell him to shoot better? Ah, that was that was a good one. I should have just counted up for the the Nathan Chester bingo there. Got another uh <laughs> part there. But uh no, you can find me on Twitter, Pac underscore flock. I read all my work at grizzlybearblues.com. Make sure you're liking and subscribing and downloading to the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio. Or wherever you listen to your podcast, and make sure you just write a five star review. Just gas us up, you know, you know the lingo, and make sure you're following the podcast on Twitter at the Core Four Podcast with the number four, not the word four. Follow the blog on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. And with that, that's all, folks.